I want to start today with a question. Do you think that God is happy? Like when you think about God, is he happy? At the core of his being, God is essentially and completely happy. If God is happy, then why does he seem so angry in the Bible sometimes? If God is happy, why does it feel like at times he's disapproving of us when we fail him? And then, does it even matter the emotional state of God? Does it even matter if he's happy? How does that even affect us in our own spiritual life? Well, in this season of Advent, we sing many songs of the Christmas season. And I began to wonder how often we think about, uh, we sing these songs, but we don't think about the words of the songs. And we don't think about the theological standpoint of the songs. And so this month, for the next five weeks, we have a Christmas Eve service in there, we are going to exegete the theology of five Christmas classic songs. We're going to see where the scripture intersects. I have one person excited about that. That's, that's good. <laughs> We're going to see where the, the, um, the, the scripture intersects and why we sing these songs like Joy to the World. And so today, um, the song is, has everything to do with this line of questioning. Do we really believe that God is happy? And we just sang it together, Joy to the World. We believe that because Christ came to earth, we're saying joy to the world. And I do believe it is really important for us to biblically settle what we believe about God's happiness or joy because it truly does affect our faith, our everyday, ordinary faith that we live out every day. The scripture says something remarkable about joy. I want to read it to you from Nehemiah 8.10. It says this, the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And have you ever thought about what that means? You may have memorized that scripture. You may have even sang this song. But what does that mean? Well, strength means courage. It means security. It means power. It means steadfastness. So think about it this way. If God's joy wasn't very big, then we could not be very courageous. If God's joy was wavering, then we could not be very secure in our faith. If God's joy was not sufficient, if it was small, then we could not operate in the power of the Holy Spirit that is all sufficient. So what the scripture is saying is that the bigness, the vastness, the infinite joy of the Lord is our strength. It's our strength to live out the Christian life. And if you believe that the Lord gives you strength to live out your Christian life, then you have to believe that the joy of the Lord is big. It's interesting, Nehemiah and his people, they were ravaged by war, they were weakened by insecurity, they were constantly reminded of their own fragile human state, and they came to this amazing conclusion that where they can find strength for life and for trials and for pain and for everything is in the joy of the Lord. And I want to just zoom out and look at, look at this verse a little bit more in context uh, from Nehemiah 8, and it reads this, then Nehemiah, the governor, Ezra the priest and the teacher of the law and the Levites were, who were instructing the people said to them all, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people have been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Nehemiah said, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And the Levites calmed all the people saying, be still for this is a holy day. Do not grieve. 
Now that's a scripture passage I like. Go eat delicious food. <laughs> Go get yourself something delicious. Grieving and weeping over sin is what they were doing. And this is consistent with the subject of holiness. There was this mourning and this weeping because they had this moment where they realized that they had not uh, got the target. They missed the target. They weren't even close to God's purposes. And so they had this moment of brokenness and, and they were so, uh, 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 you know, God, we're so sorry. We, we see now what you want from us and we are totally missing it. Yet in this scripture, the priests say, stop crying and go rejoice. And we see here that the Spirit of God has another tool that is intended to bring transformation. Weeping and crying and mourning and being broken, that gets us closer to a holy life. But there is another tool. And that tool is the power of celebration. It's the power of joy. It's the joy of the Lord. And these priests told them, stop weeping, start celebrating. Celebrate, not because you have it all figured out and you've got your life all fully together, but because you finally understand that you're a hot mess. <laughs> you finally get the fact that without the Lord, you are never going to be all that he designed you to be. And you finally understand what God is saying to you. Your eyes have been opened to the deep grace and love of God. Your heart has come alive. So be joyful that God has bridged that gap for you. Sometimes I think we're crippled in our Christian life to experience joy because we view God as one who longs to punish us instead of save us. For some reason, we view God as the guy up there just waiting to zap us when we're doing something wrong. Ha, 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 got him, caught him. We have this feeling that God wants to primarily remind us of our sin instead of forgive us. But the truth is, the Holy Spirit does want to remind us of our sin. That is true. But the reason why his motive is so he can forgive us. He wants so badly to remind us of our sins so we can come to him in repentance and he can forgive us. And over and over in the scripture, we see this clear picture of God just looking for ways to extend mercy. I don't know what your view of God is, but I want to tell you this morning, God is in a good mood. God is in a good mood. And he likes you. And he loves you. And he just wants you to feel this joy that he has over your life. And if the joy of the Lord is our strength, then God's joy must just simply be incredible. Interestingly, in Nehemiah, the priests are instructing non-joyful people to be joyful. So they're looking at a bunch of people crying and weeping and saying, listen, you, you need to do the opposite of what you feel right now. Go get, eat good things. Go laugh a little bit together. Go rejoice. And the priests were trying to teach in the scripture that rejoicing releases joy. Rejoicing releases joy. Now, if you're here today and you might say to me, you know, the holidays are really hard. Like everybody else gets a lot of joy, but the holidays are really hard for me. It brings back difficult memories. Um, it's stressful because of the financial strain that it puts upon the pressure. Um, maybe you're burdened and sad because you miss someone you love that, that isn't here anymore. Maybe you're just in the middle of a desert season and you don't really feel like celebrating. But, but here's what the scripture says. If you lack joy today, rejoicing releases joy. 
Rejoicing releases joy. Now you can say, I don't, I mean, how can something come from nothing? Like if I don't have any joy in my heart, how am I supposed to just like conjure up joy? I, I don't know, but that's how the kingdom works. I don't understand it. I don't know how God takes nothing and makes it into something, but he does it over and over in the scripture. He takes a small drink and he turns it into a river of living water. He takes a small seed and he turns it into a towering tree. He takes a small amount of faith and he says, I'm going to make you into a mountain-moving believer. So what God does is his specialty is he takes nothing and makes it into something. He takes something very little and he exponentially increases it as we release joy in our lives. It grows through us and rejoicing creates insurmountable amounts of joy. So if joy is an indicator that your spiritual life is thriving, then loss of joy is a sign that you may be in spiritual danger. If joy means your spiritual life is thriving, then a loss of joy may mean you're in spiritual danger. Philippians 3.1 says, Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. So Paul reminds them that rejoicing is a safeguard. That we need to pay close attention to that gauge of joy in our life as a follower of Christ. Because joy keeps our faith safe. Joy keeps our faith safe. In fact, that's the takeaway today. That's the thing I want you to share and repeat and remember. And the thing that you talk about over lunch, what was church about today? It's this, joy keeps our faith safe. In the early days of coal mining, this job put you in significant amounts of danger. In fact, still, today, it's a very dangerous job to do. There was risks, all kinds of risks. One of them being gas would be let into the air and could asphyxiate the miners without them even knowing it because gas is tasteless and colorless and odorless. And so they found this really creative and effective way, this low-tech solution to gauge danger in mines. They brought canaries in. They brought canaries into the mines in cages. You can see a picture here. And a canary's metabolism is very sensitive to the air quality. As long as these bright yellow birds chirp and sing, miners knew that the air was safe. But if gas levels rose, the canaries would stop singing. They would wobble on their perch. And when they fell down to the bottom of the cage, you better get out of Dodge. (laughs) Okay, they knew that something was wrong. Joy is like that singing yellow bird. One of the first effects of sin or loss of focus in our Christian life is we lose our joy in Christ. And when your heart stops singing, when, it, when, when you're no longer joyful to serve Jesus, let that be a warning to watch your life and your faith closely. Because when your yellow bird, when your canary falls to the bottom of its cage, you need to be alerted to the fact that your faith may be in danger. Jesus himself connects our daily spiritual life with joy. Let's look in John 15, 10 through 11. It says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So he's talking about when we're obedient to Jesus, we have joy in our hearts. Our joy is full. And God wants the fullness of joy in our life as we follow Christ. 
Now, don't confuse this idea of joy with, like, upbeat feelings all the time. Genuine joy is not the power of positive thinking or this bubbly, optimistic personality. Joy is not being happy because life is going my way or having this sort of false, glasses full, naive attitude. Jesus says that his joy is in us. That his joy is in us. And Paul says, rejoice in the Lord. Joy is the emotion of salvation. Joy is the emotion of salvation. It is the joy of seeing and knowing and loving and trusting Jesus. It's a joy that we can't generate ourselves. We can't uh, can't falsely create it. It is the product of the Holy Spirit. It is a fruit of the Spirit. So it is the thing that grows in us when we decide to dwell in the Holy Spirit, joy grows in us, and then it becomes something far deeper than an emotion or a feeling. And this kind of joy, this joy that's the fruit of the Spirit, can't be extinguished by the circumstances of life. It is a God-given joy, greater and stronger than any trouble that comes into our lives. As the prophet Habakkuk says in 3, 17 through 18, it says, Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vine, though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no fruit, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. Joy is our safeguard. It safeguards our faith. It keeps our faith safe. There are two things I believe that that joy keeps our faith safe from. And the first is that joy protects us from religion. Joy protects us from religion. If you lose your joy, that could be a sign that your work for the Lord is no longer worship. That your work for the Lord is motivated by pleasing somebody else or making yourself feel good. And joy protects you from serving God for the wrong reasons. George Mueller was an evangelist, an orphanage director in England. You may have heard about him. He he cared for over 10,000 orphans over the course of his life. And he said that joy was his first priority every day. And this is what he said. I saw more clearly than ever that the first and great and primary business to which I ought to attend every day was to have my soul happy in the Lord. Because working hard for Jesus, even caring for thousands of orphans, is a cold and empty duty if we have lost the warmth of our love for Christ. Joy keeps you safe from serving out of religious duty. Joy gives you this complete understanding of wanting to serve Jesus. Secondly, joy protects us from temptation. Joy protects us from temptation. Joy protects you because joy in Christ comes from being satisfied in Christ. When I got up from the table after Thanksgiving, you couldn't have tempted me with one more bite. Anybody else? Like, you could have brought the best thing in front of me and I would have, been, I would have groaned at you, okay? Because I ate everything. I was completely satisfied. There was nothing else I wanted. And in the same way, it's hard for the enemy to tempt a joyful believer with empty promises, It's hard for the enemy to say, hey, this is going to be better. Your life's going to be better if you do this. Because a joyful believer is already more than satisfied in Christ. What more could you possibly want? What could possibly tempt you? Make it a point to rejoice in the Lord, and you will find strength and safety in your fight against sin. 
because you will be fully satisfied in what God offers to you. So joy, it safeguards us from religion and it safeguards us from temptation. Now, the Gospel of Luke gives the most detailed story of the birth of Christ and also the most detailed prescription for joy. It's so interesting. Luke wants us to see that the story of the world meeting Jesus in the flesh is a story of the world finding full joy in God. It's all about joy. Jesus was born to Mary, and on that night, an angel appeared to some shepherds and declared in Luke 2 through 10, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news. What does it say? Of great joy that will be for all the people. And this Christmas song that we sang as we started this message reenacts this moment. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king and let every heart prepare him room. That the king has come, he has come for every heart. And he has come to bring the fullness of joy to each of us, to all who would believe. And this baby born in Bethlehem was born to die in our place. He went to the cross. He received the wrath that we deserved for our sin. And three days later, he rose from the dead and he appeared to his disciples and he showed them how all of the Bible was pointing to him. How he was the climax moment. How this baby born in a manger was the preacher of good news. He was the son of God crucified on the cross and the king who conquered the grave. This baby was the joy to the world. That this was the plan. And after he left them, he ascended into heaven and he promised to return. Jesus promised to return. And in Luke 24, 52, it says, they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. They even knew that the death of Jesus offered everyone, everywhere, never-ending joy in him. The Savior would, as the song says, rule the world with truth and grace and make the nations prove the light of his righteousness, and the wonders of his love. And the wonders of his love, and the wonders of his love, and the wonders of his love. What does prove mean? Well, to prove something is to test it. It's to see if it's reliable. And Jesus invites all men to prove him, especially at this Christmas season. And that's why we encourage you to take those devotionals and invite people to Christmas Town. Ultimately, perhaps they'll come to Christmas Eve service and they can see how real and true that Jesus is and how he is the joy to the world. Because Jesus invites us all to come and see the wonders of his love that he offers so freely. Jesus says, prove me, prove me because I am righteous, I am true, I am gracious, I am loving, and I am coming. I am coming again. And when I return, I will come in, in all the majesty and all the glory, and I will bring good news of great joy for all the people. The word Advent comes from Latin, and it means coming. It actually, its purpose is to look forward to the coming of Christ on earth. It's a season that focuses on waiting, and so if you saw behind me today, um, we built an Advent calendar or an Advent wreath here uh, right in the middle, and it has the five candles that, that you can see. And, and throughout this whole series, we are going to celebrate and participate 
in this idea of Advent. Advent means something new is coming. The dawn of better days. How many of you are here today and you perhaps are desperate for some better days? You're desperate for some better days. This is what the Christmas season is all about. You're in the right place. Because God broke into time and space into our world. And through prayer, we can enter into God's presence. We can ask him to prepare our hearts for the way he, he prepared all of history to receive the gift of his son Jesus. And so each month, each, each week this month, as we look at the theology of, of these Christmas songs we sing, and we also participate in the lighting of the Advent wreath, Every week, um, someone from the congregation will come and, and read the scripture and pray for us, and, and we will ask God's presence to meet us in the waiting. And I am believing that, that God will, will be faithful and he will come and we will experience his presence and that better days are ahead. And so today, as we begin Advent, we ask God that the joy of the Lord will be our strength. That next time we sing joy to the world, it could mean even something a little deeper for us. That no one and no thing can take that joy. That no one and no thing can take that joy from us. I want to ask um, Dennis to come up here today. I asked him to, to do this first Advent, um, Advent candle. And he's going to close us in prayer. And he's going to begin this beautiful Advent se season of declaring um, that Christ is coming. I'm going to be doing a reading from Isaiah 9, verses 2, 6, and 7. The people walk in darkness, have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness. From that time on and forever, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. you bow in prayer. Lord, we are here to be attentive to your word. We are here to search for your truth. Speak to us, Lord. Your servants are listening. Teach us to listen and respond. Lord, in the noise and the bustle of life, it is not easy to find your truth. Help us to be quiet and still. Make us attentive to you today. You alone have the words of eternal life. Inspire us to know your word. Lord, at times through sin and selfishness, we have hardened our hearts. Forgive our foolish ways. Open our eyes to the greatness of your love. Bless us with the truth that sets us free. Bless us, Lord, and set us free. Thank you for joy unending that comes from lingering long in your presence, and then remembering your presence all day long. Please draw my heart ever closer to yours, that you would be the first one I run to when my cup runs over with the good news. God our Father, 
Only you can give meaning and purpose to life. Let your words pierce deeply into our hearts and change our lives so that we may know life at its best and learn to live for you and for others. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Thank you. Would you stand? Let's just end with a real just moment of singing joy to the world now that we have prayed and thought through the joy of Jesus. Quint, would you just lead us in that? Joy of the Lord. We'll see you next Sunday.